Hi, I'm Jason Scott, and welcome to I Love Edmonton Real Estate. My guest today is Michael Lepke with Maxwell Devonshire Realty. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You're a relatively uh, newer agent, but you've got a ton of real estate experience on the new build side of things, right? Yes. So I became a licensed agent here in Edmonton a little over two years ago, two, two and a half, roughly. But prior to that, I worked for over 11 years in the new home building world as a host, as an associate, as a new home sales representative, as a sales manager for a large volume production builder. I did custom homes uh, for a little bit as well. And so a lot of history in the housing industry. So what are the differences in your current role as a realtor versus being a builder salesperson? We could probably do a whole episode just on that question. <laughs> but some of the some of the main differences as an agent, as a real estate agent, one is the licensing. That's the biggest, that's one of the biggest differences. I had to go through RECA. I had to do a background check. I had to go through courses, pass my exams, get my licensing in place. And now I have, I am with Maxwell Devonshire Realty is my brokerage that I have my license at. And so there's, with that licensing, there's not only a fair amount of education, but a lot of accountability. Right. And for those who don't know, RECA is the Real Estate Council of Alberta. They're the licensing body for mortgage brokers, realtors, appraisers, and property managers. And yeah, there are professional standards we have to live up to. Yes. So along with that, that comes legal responsibilities to anyone who decides to be my client. Whereas in the builder world, there really isn't any of that. Right. Uh, They are a customer of the builder, and it's a completely different kind of relationship. Yeah, entirely different. Mm-hmm. There's a lot less black and white in the builder world. Right, okay. Yeah. So what prompted you to move from being a builder representative to being a realtor? Oh, good question. A variety of different things, some personal, some professional. But ultimately, the main appeal to me in becoming a real estate agent was in in that black and white aspect. So when I'm, as an agent, if you are my client, you come to me and you say, hey, Michael, I wanna buy a home. I wanna hire you. I like what you're saying. I like what you do. We sign an agreement where I'm your agent. In that agreement, I am 100% legally committed to your best interest. So I am representing you and only you. And that was really appealing to me. Like I said, in the builder world, it's there's a lot more gray and we can get into that, I'm sure, as we as we discuss. But uh, as a representative of the builder, as a area sales manager, you're always kind of walking a line between the customer's best interests and the builder's best interests and your own personal best interests. And as human beings, we're just, it's impossible to not be biased. Right. And so you're always kind of forced to pick a side in those transactions, uh, whether you're meaning to or not. Right. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So from a home buyer's point of view, I mean, there are pros and cons to buying a new home versus buying a resale home. And we can argue both sides of those coins till we're blue in the face. I have argued both sides of those coins. So just give me a quick (laughs) high-level view. Like, what are the pros and cons of buying new? You know what? They're really the exact same as the pros and cons of buying new anything. They just those pros and cons all get magnified because you're buying a much bigger product and and a much more expensive product. But buying new, typically 
you're getting brand new, you're getting new technology, you're getting everything built to today's standards and codes, which are much higher than going back even just a, a couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Going back even further than that, it gets really sketchy. Right. Very dramatic differences, you know, things like wiring, electrical wiring, asbestos, so Everything. on and so forth. Yeah. You bet. So buying new, you don't really have to worry about any of that stuff other than just finding a good, reputable builder that's going to make sure that those things are being done properly. Mm-hmm. Buying new, you also, depending on the type of home that you're buying and the builder that you're with, you do have the ability now to personalize that home the way that you want it. So that's, over the years, I, I encountered that a lot where people started their search looking at resale homes. And then after however many weeks, months, sometimes years of not finding the right home, then they decided to look at, at new construction and, and building the home that they want. Right. Okay. Yeah. What are some of the disadvantages then of buying new? Okay. Some of the disadvantages are finding a good builder that's reputable and is going to build you a good quality product. You're always paying more for new, just like everything else. That's a disadvantage in anything else. And while real estate is, I'm sure you would call it, it's a, it's a positive investment in new, there is still going to be a lag before you start seeing that return. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause you're going to be putting more money into that finished home and finished yard than what if you turned around and sold it right away, barring any real fluctuations in the actual market itself. Right. You won't get that money back. Right. A lot of people may not be aware that quite often when you buy a new build home, it may not have a completed garage or it definitely won't have a finished basement or sometimes all even landscaping, right? So. Yeah. All depends on the builder and it depends on what you've ordered and what you're spending that money on. But that is that is cost that you're going to have to factor in. Right. Yeah. Whether it's in your mortgage when you purchase or whether it's money that's going to be out of pocket when you after you take possession of the home. Right. And then of course there's that if you then for whatever reason had to turn around and sell that same home in within a year, two, potentially five years, there's a good chance you're selling it for even potentially less than what you paid for it. Right. Just like if you bought a brand new car, drove it off the lot and a month later had to sell it. People think of real estate's always appreciating. What's appreciating is the land. Yes. As everything develops and as there's less land available. The house itself is still a commodity. It's still a product. It's still new versus used. As yeah. soon as you've moved into it and you're living in it, there's those costs that you won't be able to recoup. Right. Same thing in a renovation. If you're doing a renovation on your home and you put a $100,000 kitchen into a $350,000 house, you're probably not getting that money back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So one of the downsides is really... You really want to be careful about looking at the time frame. How long are you planning on living in this home, right? And why is that important? Well, again, on that that return on your investment, barring the market itself taking off, which will carry all property values with it. We saw that back in 05, 06, 07, yeah. where people were building new and then they were able to sell their house for double what they paid for it. Right. That's not a normal market right, situation. Right. So in those, if you're buying for short term, it might not make as much sense to go new because it's going to take you longer before you see that purchase price carry over. Yeah, the break-even point. Yeah, where you're selling it, where you are breaking even or or even potentially making a few extra thousand dollars or whatever it is to to go towards that next purchase as you're moving up. Right. Right. So 
And then obviously on resale, I mean, the potential issues are there's issues with the home or it needs renovations. There's, there can also be immediate extra costs there as well. It can be exponential. So the risk there is, is higher and oftentimes it's unknown. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of steps we can take to mitigate those risks. Uh, but again, we could spend an entire yeah, an entire meeting just talking about that. Yeah. So when you meet with a new client and they're like, you know, Michael, we don't really know what we want to do. If we want to buy used or new, how do you help them figure out which path to start going down? My process starts with what I call a, a discovery meeting. And it looks a lot like just this. We can do it over Zoom. We can do it over the phone. We can sit at a table with each other and we sit down and I ask you a whole bunch of different questions. You're going to hopefully ask me a lot of different questions. And in that, we're going to start to discover what it is that you're that you're looking for. I'm going to learn a lot about where you are right now. I'm going to learn a lot about why you're even thinking about moving. And in that discussion, it's going to start to uncover and reveal what are the things that you're looking for in your next home. And then as we start to uncover that, we start to get a sense of, does it make sense to pursue the resale market and find maybe a needle in a haystack or does it make sense to pursue the new build market and be able to go in and customize and and build you the home of your dreams with all of the things that that we've identified as being your your wants and your needs right okay so let's say we've narrowed it down and now the clients know that they want to go new okay why would they want to work with a realtor as opposed to just directly going to sales centers Beyond the fiduciary part, right? Well, beyond the fiduciary, that is a big part. Right. It's the same as why would you want to have a a buyer agent with you when you go into an open house as opposed to walking in and and just dealing with the selling agent directly. The selling agent, when you're in an open house, and assuming it's that agent's open house, they have a fiduciary duty. They have a legal responsibility to represent their client's best interest and to protect their client's confidentiality They don't have that duty to you. One of the things I like about our industry is that myself as an agent, I have a legal responsibility to explain that to you Mm -hmm. when you walk in the door or at some point in that conversation fairly early on, you as the buyer have to know what your role is in this relationship and what my role is. Mm -hmm. When you walk into a show home, there is no disclosure. There's no requirement to disclose that. I spent 10 years, 11 years (laughs) in the new home industry. And when I got my license as an agent, I had close friends who knew me that whole time when I was on social media. Hey, I got my license. Here it is. They were like, wait a minute. You haven't, I thought you had your license this whole time. They thought I was an agent. Right. Okay. Right. So there's a lot of misconception there that people don't even realize what that role is or what that looks like. And I'm not trying to create fear around the builder world. There's amazing, wonderful people that work in show homes and they are there. They want to do right by their clients and they do their darndest to do that. But the reality is they still are beholden to the builder that they work for. Right. There is no confidentiality. So what I always tell my clients, if they're thinking about walking into a, a show home or if they're thinking about going to an open house without representation, without somebody there is anything you say in that interaction can and will be used against you in a negotiation. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. When I was a sales manager, oftentimes one of the first questions I would ask if I had an offer 
being brought in by one of my salespeople. I wanted to know, okay, who's the buyer? Where are they from? Do they have a pre-approval? How much is their pre-approval? What do they do for work? Why are they looking at this home? What's their timeline? What do they need? This is all, a lot of these questions are information that when you're having a really nice chit chat with a friendly salesperson in a show home, they seem kind of benign. They're regular questions of just chatting about how I can help you best. But if I'm now taking that back and telling the sales manager who's responding to your offer to purchase, that becomes really important information that is going to play a role in how much you're able to negotiate. Well, so this raises an interesting question. So when, let's say I make an offer on a place and I'm dealing with the sales associate at the show home, Mm -hmm. they're writing up the contract, but they don't have the power to say yes or no. Who ultimately makes that decision? Structure is going to vary from builder to builder, but typically the sales manager is the one who's going to be reviewing that and deciding yes or no or counter. The person who's writing up the actual contract with you or the purchase agreement in the show home will have little to no influence over that decision. Okay. Now, obviously, I would assume they know what's a reasonable figure, what the sales manager and what the builder is trying to aim for, for selling price and sort of what sort of wiggle room there is. One would hope. Some do. Some have a very good idea. Some builders are pretty transparent with their with their teams. Some are not and don't want their frontline guys, because a lot of builders are aware of the gray that their own industry is in and the gray that their salespeople are in. So there are some builders and some sales managers out there who don't, they don't want their frontline salespeople to know what kind of wiggle room there is, how much wiggle room. They oftentimes don't even want to know what's happening from one community to the next, right? So it really depends on the builder there. And then even then, It's like any other negotiation. Uh, Me as the selling agent, I might know how much wiggle room my client has, but am I going to tell you as a buyer? I hope not. (laughs) I'm not supposed to be doing that. And I would hope that that no agents are. And And as a sales manager, I sure as heck hoped that my salespeople weren't coaching buyers on how to get more money out of us. Right. Right. That's not a good business model. Yeah. So we wanted our pricing to be fair and our, our value to be there in what we were offering. But in a negotiation, you still want to get the best value you can and protect your bottom line right? as a buyer and as a business owner. So then as a realtor, and especially one with direct experience and lots of direct experience with builders, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously you would be a very useful resource. If I'm a buyer, you can say, look, I know these builders versus those builders. Mm-hmm. And here's where I think the pricing should be and where, based on what I think their costs are. Right. Yeah. And that's something, having an understanding of of what some of these costs are to know that, okay, if you're wanting to add in a a soaker tub, is that a reasonable price, right? If you're wanting the builder to put in AC, right? Is that going to be a reasonable price? Those are things that an experienced agent who knows the building process can be very useful to help help guide you, right? Those are also things that an experienced and well-meaning sales representative at the show can help guide you. So if you get both of those working together, and I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions in the industries, they're closely related, but they're still miles apart. When you get a good, experienced, knowledgeable buyer's agent working with their client, working with a good, experienced, knowledgeable builder representative, 
that's like the perfect storm for a great experience for everybody. Why is that? Because we're all working towards the same goal. And when we all understand that, the same goal is a client who becomes a homeowner who is getting the home that they want for good value and they're going to live in it for however long they live in it and enjoy it and be happy. Everybody, when you talk to each individual party, that's what they want. Right. That's the end goal. Right. But when you come into it in an adversarial standoffish way, it oftentimes doesn't work out that way. Right. Um, because you're always undermining the other person. And there's, they're always, there's always these questions of doubt and, and argumentativeness. But if you have somebody who can go, that makes sense, that makes sense, that lines up. That doesn't really sound right, but I understand why builders are doing it. I mentioned AC earlier. I haven't met a builder yet that charges a fair price for air conditioning. Right. It's a ridiculous markup because they can. You talk to an air conditioning installer, an HVAC person, it makes little difference to them if they're installing it during the build or after. But you can save thousands by doing it after. Right. Okay. Right. So that's one example of one item where an experienced buyer agent can help guide you and protect you and work with an experienced sales rep to where everybody goes, yep, that doesn't make sense. Let's take that off and let's put that money towards something that makes sense. Right. Right. So if I'm using a realtor on my buying side of things, Mm -hmm. am I going to end up paying more for the property, all things being equal? Because, of course, the builder's going to end up paying you a commission. Right. The short answer is no. (laughs) Why is that? Um, Well, it's like any other transaction. A good realtor who's doing their job is bringing value to that process. And a good buyer agent is earning their entire commission and then usually and then some. Right. right? And it's no different in the builder world. And actually, the through I believe it's through CHBA, but I can I can double check that for you. But there is an agreement that most most of the builders are signed on with, and that is with the Realtors Association as well, that they work in cooperation with realtors, and they do not adjust their pricing based on a realtor being involved. Adjust um, upwards, you mean. Exactly. Right. So the short answer is no. That's all on paper. <laughs> right. Are there scenarios where... A builder is a sales manager is maybe going to take that into consideration when they're making their counter offers. It's possible. Right. Is a salesperson in the show home going to potentially say, hey, I can get you this much off if you cut out the realtor? That's possible too. And those are scenarios that have happened. Right. But in the example you give on the air conditioning, I mean, if you save $1,500 or $2,000 right there, Mm -hmm. that's a long ways towards... Covering off any realtor commission. Creating that value, absolutely. Um, Yeah, it can get complicated, but the reality, the way most production builders are set up, when they have a realtor program where they're working with agents and they, they welcome agents in, their structure is the agent isn't being paid from that transaction. So you have a $500,000 home, the builder is paying three and a half, one and a half commission. So three and a half percent on the first hundred thousand, one and one and a half on the balance that all of that money isn't coming out of the margin of that house. The way the builders are set up, most of them when they have a, a realtor program like that is they're taking 
a portion of the margin from every single house they sell. Right. They're amortizing it over so, 100 houses or 25 houses or whatever right. for their annual budget. So they're bringing in all of all of that into a separate pool. And when yeah. they pay out agents on individual transactions, it's coming out of that pool. Right. Which is why it usually doesn't or shouldn't impact the purchasing power, the negotiation ability of the buyer to get the best value possible. Now, one of the reasons that you do get sometimes people in the show homes that are, are standoffish about it or are trying to, to move away from that is that the builders can sometimes be kind of working against themselves in how they set up internally. And it's important to be aware of this and, and be respectful of it. So a lot of builders, when they incentivize agents to come in with their clients and, and bring that business into the builder, the builder is saying, hey, we want to work with your clients. We want to work with agents. We'll pay you full commission. We'll pay you this. We'll pay you that which all sounds really great. But then what they're doing is they're, when that happens, they're deducting the salesperson in the show home, they're deducting their pay. Oh, I see. Okay. To help offset it. Gotcha. Now that's, I'm not saying that with any kind of a judgment one way or the other, that's just their business model. Yeah. Not all builders do it. Some do, some don't, some do to a big degree, some do it to a smaller degree. Right, okay. But that's where sometimes even agents, when I talk to them and they're like, why are new home salespeople always so standoffish? And I'm like, they're not. They have nothing against you, but they know right, as soon as you're there, it's impacting them. It's so is the sales income? Is, so the salesperson is on commission too, then? Yeah, typically. Okay. Yeah. Again, the structures will vary, but most salespeople in the new home world are are either straight commission or they get a very very low base, base yeah. salary, and then the bulk of their income is earned from commission. Right. Okay. So, what are some things that buyers should be aware of when they're trying to decide which builder and which community to go with. I mean, I could imagine that there's a myriad different issues here, but obviously different builders have different build structures, quality, pricing can be different between neighborhoods, et cetera. Like how do you choose? um, That can be daunting in and of itself, which again is where, it can be really beneficial to sit down with somebody who's who's familiar with that entire process. You want to talk about uh, decision fatigue? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind what type of flooring and uh, paint color. Oh, before you even get there, yeah. yeah. I and a colleague of mine several years ago, we had the idea, and I won't go too far into in depth in it, but we we wanted to put together. We started with an Excel sheet of mapping out every single builder in every single new development community in Edmonton. Oh, that'd be massive. And that wasn't including like large multifamily buildings. Yeah. And it wasn't including infill. So we were just looking at new development communities and all of the builders in those communities. We stopped at, I think we got, we had a list compiled of about 135 builders across, I think at the point we were over 60 different communities. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. To choose for sure. Yeah. And which ones are the good ones? Which ones are the, where am I getting the best value? How does someone figure that out beyond tapping into a realtor's past experience? Just call me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, No, I mean, it's, it's no different than uh, look at how many listings are online at any point in time, right? Which community do you want to be in? Yeah. So we sit down and we look at what is your life? We look at your market. Uh, I talk with my clients a lot about that. There's the Edmonton market. There's the sub-markets in all the different communities. What's your market? What's your lifestyle? Yeah. 
How do you want to be living? What's important to you? And all of those things start to narrow down. And if you don't sit down and really take a solid inventory of right down to what what are your values, then you can miss the mark by quite a bit. I've had clients that built in brand new, beautiful communities, reputable, sought after. A year after they moved in, they're like, I don't know why I'm here. Right. I want to be close to nature. I want to be by a river valley. I want bike trails and walking. And this community has none of that. Right. So it's, it's really a matter of going through all of those questions. The reality is most people, by the time they're thinking about actually moving, they already have, if we're talking like a scale of dissatisfaction with where they're living now, if it's on a one to 10, one being they're totally happy and 10 being they they need to get the heck out of there. If they're thinking about building, asking, listening to this podcast, they're probably already at like a five mm-hmm. or a six, mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit higher. So they probably already have a, a good foundational understanding of what area of the city they'd like to be in, what kind of commute they want to have, yeah, what sort of amenities they want to have near yeah. them. Maybe they've thought about schools already if they already have kids. If they're t- thinking about starting a family, maybe they haven't really given much thought to schools, which again, those are, that's, those are the types of questions that we would dive into in an actual discovery meeting to go through these things, mm-hmm. right? And if you're planning on living there for 10 years and you just got married last year and there's potentially kids in the works in the next couple of years, well, school now, we have to discuss that. Right. And, you know, just for context, you know, 10 years ago, as an example, Southwest Edmonton, and maybe it's still the same, but it became very challenging to get into schools based on, yeah. Yeah. All over the city, right? Those catchments are changing sometimes annually. Yeah. I had clients in Summerside when I was working for builders that had built in Summerside specifically for a couple of reasons. They like the lake, they like the, all that stuff. But they knew they wanted to, their kids to go to the school that was that was there. By the time their build was complete, the catchments had changed. Oh, man. And they were on the outside. So they moved in and literally that same year started another build in a different area of the same community to try and get back into that catchment. Uh, and those are things, too, that whether you're building or whether you're buying an existing property, working with an agent, making sure you understand how these accesses work because a lot of times you don't know. And a lot of times, honestly, in the sales centers, the salespeople don't know. Sure. That's not information that everyone is. Some of them are really doing their research and at very at, in the best case scenario, they have all of the school websites available, ready to go. They're able to check on that in real time. Or usually the smart thing that they would do is send it to you so that you can check on it in right. real time and be aware of it. Right. But that's just one aspect that, yeah, it can shift very dramatically. What are some misconceptions that people have about new builds? Well, I think one of the biggest misconceptions about new builds is they think that everything is built cheaply nowadays. Okay. Every builder is cutting corners. Every builder is using the cheapest possible products and and trying to make as much margin or... Yeah, margin as, as possible. Huge misconception on margins. Most builders do not make huge margins, especially when you're talking like the larger volume production builders, depending on the market scenario, the the margins can be almost non-existent. Mm. And in a really positive market, they're good, but they're not 
the host is not a 50% markup. Yeah, by any oh, for stretch. sure. Yeah, yeah. And when you think of the amount of money a builder needs to get going and, and launch a successful yeah, industry. And, and across how many communities and how much land that they have to buy just to be in that community, they're putting out a lot of dollars um, to run that business. It's an expensive business to go into, for sure. But I think that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions about builders is people, you hear the adage, oh, they don't build them like they used to. Having now been on both sides of of the industry, my default response to that is, thank goodness. Right. (laughs) Yes. Like, yeah, I mean, you've got foundation issues with older homes or you've got asbestos or wiring issues or plumbing issues. All all of the above. The reality is, is, is prior to... I think the mid '60s in Edmonton, there was no building code. Right. Never mind what's changed in the building code since it was brought in. Prior to the '60s, uh, there was no building code at all. So there was nothing. There was nothing dictating how that house was built, what was put into it, what kind of insulation was used. R value wasn't even a consideration. Yeah. I once owned a rental property that literally had newspaper yep. <laughs> for insulation. Yeah. So. Newspapers, uh, ripped up jeans, <laughs> like denim, like shredded yeah. clothes, basically. You see a lot of weird things. I had I had uh, clients who sold their home, was built in 1969 uh, in a mature neighborhood. They had, thankfully, prior to listing with me, they had updated a lot of their plumbing, all the main plumbing lines. Their sewer line, the main line going out of the house into the sewer, was tar paper yeah it was basically like paper mache yeah with tar on it like talk about a disaster waiting to happen yeah and a big repair bill to fix it huge i mean the bill to fix it when there wasn't a problem was substantial yeah but if you had a problem with that if that broke open and now you've got water and sewage and everything i mean man that talk about a nightmare yeah we don't have those issues now right homes are built even the homes that are built just a code are built far more superior than homes that were built. Like I said, even just a few decades ago, mm-hmm. more efficient, better quality. They will stand up better. They will weather the elements better and that they'll be a more comfortable home to live in too. Cause the, just the envelope seal alone on a newer home, it's night and day. You don't get drafts running randomly through a house even when all the windows are closed yeah whereas a home built in the 50s or 60s or prior to that that's to be expected yeah right one thing that i've i've seen in purchase contracts is the builder will say okay there's no unauthorized site visits you can't you can't come see your home every second weekend kind of thing yeah is that a major issue for builders oh yeah yeah it can be it's an issue for builders it's an issue for the industry as a whole there's a variety of reasons for it. You know, safety, obviously, is one of them. Well, the safety is the biggest one. Yeah. You go walking into onto a construction site unauthorized. Yeah. You're not licensed. You're not bonded. You're not insured. You fall into a excavation, yeah. break your leg. One, you have no idea of what their schedule for work on that is. How long are you down there before somebody realizes you're down there? Right. Uh, so, that, yeah, the safety component is a big one. The other component to that is they have a process. Builders <laughs> builders are at a huge disadvantage for the product that they're selling to the market because they are exposed in their open air. Even the ones that are doing a lot of their manufacturing in, in-house, they're still building it and putting it together on site. Mm-hmm. 
They can't control that. You order a car, you want to buy a Tesla, you don't get to go stand in the factory and watch it being assembled and tell the guy on the assembly line how to do his job. It's just, it would be unheard of. You wouldn't be allowed, you wouldn't get through the doors. Whereas builders are subject to just that, which can be a real challenge. It can be a challenge with their trades, their trade agreements. It can be a challenge just in, in their process of making sure that things are getting done in a timely manner. Right. Because uh, we are, as consumers, we're also fickle. Right. And of <laughs> course, uh, you know, I mean, they've got weather issues, yeah. seasonal issues. Yeah. Now, I will say on the flip side to that, a good builder, in my opinion, will have site access available. They will want you as the, as the customer to be a part of that process, to understand the process. And in a best case scenario, to be another set of eyes on that build to make sure it's being done to what was promised in the agreement, right? So well, that raises the question. If you're buying a new build, should you have a uh, inspection, subject to inspection clause in your contract? That raises the question of if the builder would even accept such a clause. Every builder is going to have their own policy on that. But it does. it is a really good question to be aware of. And to have those conversations up front with the builder, especially if you're doing a build where your possession isn't going to happen for potentially a year or more mm-hmm. from the time of doing the paperwork. Yeah. When do you do the inspection, right? Ten days before possession. Well, what if there's an issue? How do right. you resolve it? So a couple of things on that. New builds, by definition, like we touched on earlier, are already going to be built to a higher standard than what you're going to be purchasing in an, in an older, more mature neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So. Some of the concern that would normally be addressed or alleviated by an inspection is already mitigated greatly just by the fact that you're building a brand new home. Also, in Alberta now, warranties are warranty insurance is legislated. Every builder has to provide warranty insurance. Mm-hmm. So Alberta New Home Warranty is, is your top provider of that warranty insurance. Mm-hmm. So you do have under legislation a fair amount of protection against failure of the products in the home, right? You're not protected against, is that that color of paint correct? Right. Your warranty doesn't cover anything like that. Even visual defects or deficiencies aren't necessarily covered if you've gone through and walked through the home with or without an inspection. But if you've walked through and you sign that final piece of paper saying, yes, I'm, I'm happy, I'm happy and I'm taking it. When you get keys to your home, anything that hasn't been noted as a defect, a visual defect or deficiency, is considered acceptable by you. Right. Whether or not you verbally have said that or written it anywhere. Right, right. So you got to be careful there. You got to know what. You do want to be aware. You want to pay attention. There's standards too. You can't come walking into a new built home with a million candle power spotlight <laughs> and walk up to the, the walls and look for flaws. Right. Um, You'll find them if you have that. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so they do have standards as far as what's deemed acceptable and what's not. And that's where a buyer who's really concerned about those things, the information is out there. You can download for free the Alberta New Home Warranty Program guidelines as to what's deemed acceptable, what isn't. Um, when I worked in show homes, I would usually, that was one of the first things I would email out to my clients after they signed their agreement, sometimes ahead of time. If I knew like, okay, you're really concerned about this? Take a look at it. Ask the questions now. Find out from the builder. What what do you do in this scenario? Right. Because again, the guideline is there is a guideline. Some builders go way above and beyond. I've heard of builders going back 
actually the biggest one that I heard of was a builder. This was in Calgary. There was a house that they had built. It was over 20 years ago. It had been over 20 years since they built the house. And the homeowners somehow went 20 years without realizing this. But a big chunk of the attic was never insulated. Oh, wow. So they lived in this house for like 20 years without ever realizing it wasn't missing. It was never there. Right. (laughs) And that builder, although they probably could have quite easily just said, well, hey, it's been 20 years, right? Immediately when they found out about it, contacted their trades. It wasn't even the same trade anymore. Their trade was like, yep, we're on it. Right, right. Got in there and and got that attic insulated. Right. Because it was, that's what you should do. Right. Right. So... Obviously, even if you don't get a full-on inspection done, make sure you spend the time poking around in the house during your walkthrough. Make sure there's no issues. Take your time. Walk through. Make sure that that, uh, you've noted things that are visibly of concern. The things that aren't visible, most of them should fall under your first-year warranty because that's your comprehensive workmanship and materials warranty. You then will have a two-year warranty on all of your systems, so your HVAC, your plumbing, your electrical, all of those, the delivery systems, so like your plumbing lines, the taps themselves, the faucets, those will have their own manufacturer warranty, which again, depending on the builder, a lot of them are going to be, some of those manufacturer warranties are lifetime, right? right? But the systems themselves should have, they'll have that two-year warranty coverage where if you're having difficulty with your builder, getting them to, to address it. That's where the warranty insurance, like Alberta New Home Warranty, you can go file a claim with them. They can assess it. They can look at it and then make a determination. Builder, go in and fix it or no, it's it's within the acceptable guidelines. Here's why. And that's the homeowner's responsibility. Understanding more about that going into it is useful for sure. As far as having an inspection, sorry, I know I took us kind of in a real roundabout way to get there. Some builders actually flat out won't allow you to bring an inspector prior to possession, which really is is okay. Some builders will actually provide you with a third-party inspection prior to possession, which is really just going above and beyond. But even if they don't allow it, you have that warranty. You have 12 months. So usually what I would guide my client in that scenario is you don't have to die on that hill. You don't have to battle over it. Get the inspector to come in. You have a 12-month warranty. Month 10, 11, yeah. hire your inspector. Have them come in. Note, all, get the report, have everything noted, and then take that to your builder to go through and determine what they can, what they will, what's acceptable, what's not, and get those items addressed at your one-year warranty. Right. And if there are still issues, then you go to Alberta Home Warranty. Then at least, yeah, you have some time to respond to it and come up with a plan. And in some cases, the reality is you're buying a home. There's going to come, there's a point where you're responsible for that home. Yeah. Uh, You're responsible for the upkeep. You're responsible for adjusting, fixing, upgrading, right? The warranty is really there to protect you against the failure of the product, right? Not your preference. Right. And that's where a big misconception about warranty in general. I used to ask people in my show home, what's your perception of warranty? And it was usually one one of two things. It was the idea that I'm covered for anything. Right, you're going to change my light bulbs. Right, <laughs> they don't change your light bulbs. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> to some people, it is. Yeah. And then on the other side, it was it was people who were like, "Well, it's a yeah. waste." 
Yeah, there's nothing it's you're going to do for me. Yeah, it's just it's just a nightmare and a battle, and I'm going to have to fight with them. And the warranty insurance company is in bed with the builders, and they're going to have the builders back. And and the reality is, is somewhere in the middle of that. Right. There are going to be times where the warranty, the Alberta New Home Warranty sides with the builder. More often than not, those times are legitimate. It's That's because it's not a warrantyable item. It's not a failure of the product. Right. It might not be performing the way you wanted it to perform, or you may have now changed your mind on how you wanted it to perform, but that's not a warranty issue. Right. Right. Okay. Michael, are there any other thoughts or comments that you want to make before we wrap up? Tons. <laughs> there is, as you know, we talked about this even prior, there's really so much ground to cover. I would say it's really like any other decision that you face in in life, any major decision. Take your time, plan ahead, talk to experts, get a second opinion, get a third opinion, make informed, confident choices. That's my goal in every interaction with a client. Ever since when I was working in show homes years ago, it was, I'm here to help you make an informed, confident decision. I'm not here to sell you on one thing or the other. I'm here to help you make the decision on what you're going to move forward with. And then once you've made that decision as an agent now, I'm here to help you make that a reality in as hopefully as, as stressless process as possible. But that is ask questions, take your time, make an informed, confident decision. Perfect. Well, that's yeah. an awesome way to wrap up. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you so much, Jason.